We've got some fresh new young talent doing some things that I know you haven't heard before. One, two, three, listen. You gotta have a like the why, and we know our why. So I think you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Millions and millions of people have done this already. You can get help, you can get a roadmap, you can save a lot of time, money, and frustration. Welcome to the Value Add Podcast with K&K. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Value Add Podcast with K&K. We had the pleasure of interviewing Justin Brennan, who is a local, born and raised San Diegan, um, who is now syndicating. He is also a realtor with Sotheby's, and we had like an amazing conversation uh, about investing in real estate, the thing that we love the most. Yeah, Justin, uh, we kind of went through the process of talking about, I think some of the similarities we have is he works, he's an agent, makes his money, and then he takes that money and he's making that money work for him to buy apartments. And his goal is to one day, hopefully not sell real estate and just have apartments and keep growing it and growing it. I think his goal is to hit a thousand units and 5,000 units, but it was pretty interesting to talk to him, obviously, because we know the multifamily game, real estate game. He's done some deals here, but what was really interesting for Crystal and I is his approach to moving into other markets outside of California and how he enters the state and how he takes six months in the process he goes through, which, you know, for us, that was cool to like kind of hear the detail there. Absolutely. I think um, for us, we are really big about investing in your own backyard. I think because there is so much research that goes into it. So there's that element of risk if you're not willing to do that research. Um, And sort of for us, I think it's like I think San Diego is a great place to invest. I I don't feel the need to go anywhere else. But some people are looking for higher returns, more cash flow um, and that sort of thing. So I think he's a great resource on how he has done it successfully and also his philosophy philosophy about investing in real estate. I mean, his dad was a developer growing up, but he never invested in real estate, everything he, he built, he sold. Um, so he, that was a big takeaway for him. And it's really cool to hear his perspective. So income was up and down and up and down. Like a lot of developers, it's like, they always say as your developer, you're rich, you're broke, you're rich, you're broke. And then a lot of developers, we know that stay rich. If you want to say that is because they actually kept the property like Crystal's saying. So one thing I want to say before we jump into this, if you're in the real estate business or you're in the loan business, or you're just in any business or you work, um, we're very passionate, just like Justin is, about saving money and putting it to work. So if you're a realtor specifically and you know Justin, you're going to listen to this, start saving some money, start investing because you're probably not going to want to sell houses till you're 80. And if you do, that's okay. But at some point, you do want to have passive I always income. say, start investing in the thing you sell. My gosh. Seems like it makes so much sense. Well, right? how about they sell $5 million luxury homes? Well, real estate. Okay. Let's just keep it <laughs> real estate. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're going to jump in right yeah. now with Justin. Let's so here we it. go. Justin, if you want to start just by telling us a little bit about your background and. Yeah. Uh, born, born and raised here in San Diego. Uh, wow. Kind of a, I know. Not many we're, of us. we're like aliens these days. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of third generation, son of a de- developer guy here in San Diego and kind of grew up on the from the ground digging ditches and laying pipe and doing all that stuff that my dad just wanted us to do so he could it wasn't for any other purpose than to just learn how to dig a ditch really yeah. <laughs> and learn the value of a dollar which was good it was very helpful and just hard work and determination so but yeah grew grew up through that and kind of learned the building construction multifamily apartment business okay uh throughout san diego southern california and um 
really the financial crisis was a big change, I think, for a lot of people. It hammered. I mean, it hit everybody, including our family. But um, from that and helping my dad consolidate his businesses at that time because he was in development and construction um, in Southern Riverside at that oh, time. Oh, gosh. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's, the decline, there's another decline. Well, no, I will yeah. never forget this. I'm not kidding you. So it was April 8th, 2008, around 930 in the morning, and he got a call from Royal Bank of Canada, which was our lender on a construction project. And we were under construction for 327 townhomes that were being graded right off the 215. And they Ooh. called and they said, hey, you know, Mr. Brennan, blah, 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 just want to let you know we're shutting down your construction loan. And my dad's like, what? And they're like, I, I thought I heard you. Yeah. Say, <laughs> he's uh, like, uh, what? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we're shutting down your construction loan. And, and he's like, well, you guys can't do that. We have, we have a loan. He's like, no, we're going to shut it down. If you want to do anything, just sue us. And that was basically the end of the conversation. Wow. And then, of course, the markets were. They knew. Yeah, they're going. They, they already, they already. 100 knew. miles an hour south. So. Needless to say, that changed a lot of things. But I always say, what, greatness is born in, in bad moments, right? For sure. So, um, yeah, it actually allowed then at that point after consolidating businesses with them, um, I became an asset manager for a third-party asset management firm here in San Diego called Atlas REO. Okay. And they handled a lot of the major banking institutions' foreclosures at that time. Ah. So you're on the positive side of real estate? Or you're on the negative side of real estate. And that was a great learning experience to go in and kind of work with Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, GMAC, Chase, B of A, country, Countrywide, blah, 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 country right? Just kept country. going. Maybe Wamu in there? Washington probably. <laughs> they got bought up. And it was yeah. just, it was a nightmare. I mean, you guys were yeah. probably saw yeah. that. So, but yeah, I mean, and then kind of saw that translate into short sales from the REO business and jumped out in the broker business and been doing that ever since 2010. Okay. And then I mimic that with the building construction apartment stuff that I've been doing over the last several years. So I'm kind of wearing two hats. So you're selling real estate. Mm -hmm. What do you, where do you sell? What do you sell? Mostly coastal San Diego, along La Jolla, you know, Pacific beach, Point Loma, a little bit into Del Mar and coastal San okay. Diego. Primarily is kind of specialty. And, uh, but being born and raised in San Diego, I'm pretty comfortable with most, most markets. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we buy, uh, develop, own rehab apartments, you know, here so, in San Diego, as well as outside of California, primarily right now, outside of California. Are you doing outside? Yeah. Where yeah. are you guys focusing? Uh, we went into Missouri and Kansas City, of all places, if you can believe that. Wow. I would have never thought that until I actually went to Kansas City and saw how much of an emerging market it is and what's happening with all the jobs, the growth, the university systems, redevelopment, all that stuff is there. It's it's booming. And then we're going into Texas and San Antonio. Uh, maybe Austin, Fort Worth. We'll see how those markets are at. I mean, they're kind of getting a little bit too overpriced there, but we'll see. But San Antonio and then Tucson. And that's kind of the three markets we're focused outside of California at the moment. Were you just uh, primarily here in San Diego then when things were a little bit cheaper? Uh, yes. We bought most of our apartments in 2010, 11, 12, up to 14, and we stopped buying in 14. Wow. Okay. And then we just cash flow them all pretty nicely right now. You've gotten a uh, lot of appreciation. Yeah, a lot time. of appreciation. Just you, just you and your family? Or you uh, me and my business partner. So Chris okay. Poli, Christopher Poli, um, and then myself, we started the company out of grad school back in, you know, what, 2007, eight. And uh, didn't really do anything for the first couple of years of it until 2010, and then started buying then. So like syndicating? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah what small. kind of deals did you have? We started team? just with our own money, mm -hmm. and then it, it That runs out kind of quick. Yeah. That <laughs> runs out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, well, maybe we need to bring in some investors. Yeah. So we started pooling investor money to buy some more deals. 
And then uh, we do new construction as well. So we've done a couple ground up deals in Point Loma. Wow. And then we're entitling about a 19 or 20 unit deal in East County, San Diego right now. Is it all multifamily, not Mm -hmm. for sale? Yeah, all for rent stuff. Cool. All for rent for right now. You know, the condo market isn't quite there. Did you, um, are you in that space because your dad and what you learned or just more on your own? Yeah, you know what? I, it was a great learning experience because my dad was never, he built apartments, but he never held them. And Are that you was, like, Dad? Well, now, because I, I mean, God bless him for helping put me through school, which taught me a lot of great things on the financial side of things because he would, you know, would also make a ton of money, but then would lose a ton of money. And his net worth and income would literally mimic the real estate cycles for the last 40 years. It's so great. Like, but nice talk about going on trips. Nice <laughs> yeah, right? We're not going here. But then you're sitting there going like, how do you sleep at night? You know, when you get, because it's, it's very stressful. stressful. So I sat there going, well, how do you counter this? And the one common denominator I've seen in a lot of extremely wealthy people that I've paid attention to over time is the liquidity of residual rental income properties. Mm-hmm. And that can come in apartments, retail, Anything. just rental income type assets. Yeah. So That was my next question. Why multifamily? Yeah. It's what I know best. Okay. I mean, it's what I went to school for. I mean, I know. It, I mean, I literally. <laughs> I kid you not. Like, I wake up in the morning. I'm like, cash on cash returns, NOI, <laughs> like operating expenses. You know, <laughs> I, like that's I, like literally wake up doing it. So I know it inside now. So that's why I'm comfortable with it. Are yeah. you guys self managing or? Locally, we are. We have wow. our own property management company locally, but outside, no. We have professional companies How running. How many units you have locally? Uh, Twenty. Okay. It's currently well. It's actually technically going to be forty. But that's local because we sold some as well. Yeah. So we had them and then we sold them recently. So we get cashed out a little bit to take it outside of California. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then we started buying. We just uh, were about 100, two or three different properties last year, about 100 units. And then now we're in a point where we're going to probably start getting into the 80 to 100 unit type acquisitions because we've kind of graduated in from the two to four unit space into the five to 10 unit space into the 30 unit okay. space. And then now we're getting into, okay, we're ready. We kind of have the operations down pretty well. We can get into that next stage. So, so. how do you guys do your market research, too, to determine what new markets you're going to go into? Um, online, a lot of it, you know, through, you know, you're looking at job growth in certain markets. You're looking at median income in certain markets. You're looking at development in those markets in terms of what does the general plan for the city or the county have planned forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, light rail systems, uh, mass transit, university systems. We love university Amazon systems. Join. <laughs> yeah, Amazon, right? <laughs> oh, no, but that's why we like Kansas City, right? There's yeah. literally 41 between, you know, public municipal colleges, large university systems surrounding that metropolitan Kansas City area. Wow. There's nine Fortune 500 companies. There's a massive redevelopment sector going on. If you actually went there, you'd be like, it reminds you of downtown San Diego mm-hmm. in 2004 and five. Okay. Like just kind of getting started, you're and seeing I'm sure things the going price up. For doors a lot cheaper. Oh, because <laughs> we just bought one last year. That's a C property. We're going to turn into a B at fifty six thousand a door. Wow. We bought another one at eighty three thousand a door. I mean, and we're going to turn them into one hundred and ten, hundred and twenty, you know, thousand dollar door properties within the next few years. Um, but that's what is available there versus here in San Diego. It's like, I mean, you're buying at a three cap. Yeah. <laughs> now it seems or work out. What kind of tenants are you? Are you are, are you regentrifying to tenant base and things like that? In or? some, yes, but you'd be surprised. I mean, there's a good tenant base. Um, the median income is good. I mean, it's it definitely is allowing the growth of rents at that two to three percent level for sure. 
And because of the university systems, the job growth, all that's there, it's allowing kind of wages to creep up and then rents to kind of follow it. Yeah. What are you kind of doing to your to add value to the properties? What's your kind of focus on? Yeah, usually you're going in. I mean, like the one of the buildings we bought just had it was a kind of a C plus B minus already. Okay, and we're just doing washer dryers in the units, rehabbing the kitchens, the bathrooms, and that's it. Everything else is pretty nicely remodeled, and washer that allows dryers. Us, that's a lot. That's a, it does. Expense. It's a huge ticket. So we'll get a couple hundred bucks a month on that. Just that alone. And, and then I think people stay longer. Like we had Alan yeah. Evan on the podcast too. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about that. And that he was, was my professor. I love oh him. my gosh. It's yeah. so funny. He's he he is a professor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let alone. Yeah. He, yeah. he oh, is. Sure. But he was right. I mean, he had a really good point about putting laundry in the units too. Mm-hmm. Like your tenants are going to stay longer. I mean, yeah. no, everybody ideally wants laundry in their unit, but it's one of the things I think a lot of rehabbers don't do. Right. So it's a smart. We do the stackables yeah. and, and get it in there. So they, uh, they like that. And then we can then find a way to do a, a reimbursable on the utilities. Sometimes twenty five bucks or something like that on a monthly basis. I, I think when you have laundry, for sure, you have to build mm-hmm. back because they're using it. Yeah, you I mean, know, they're sticking and just throwing yeah. water in that thing. So yeah, it's amazing what people will pay. Like Alan was like too, especially he's like San Diego. You know, he's like take North Park. If you give him a, a garage, yeah, give him laundry, they're never leaving. Like <laughs> right, it's like parking. Really. Yeah, it's true. It's about the value of that. And rent is unbelievable. It is. Because nobody, you know, if you have a garage, storage, or parking. And you can't really quantify it, but vacancy loss. Like, if Mm -hmm. you can reduce your vacancy loss, that's huge, too. Even though we're at, what, like, sub-3% vacancy in San Diego, you still want to minimize the time that it costs you to turn over and re-rent. Because, yeah, you do do that. And depending on how many units you have in your little plex, if it's a four-plex or five-plus, you know, unit property, yeah, it's that turnover, like you said, but then it's the time lost, and then it could be a 60-day turnaround from tenant moving out, fixing it up, getting it back on the market. Okay, now you find a tenant. They need a 30-day notice before then they can move in, so you may have a 60-day loss of rent. Yep. So. Yeah, I don't think people, like, if you haven't gone through it, they understand that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's like this. No. So we'll give concessions and rent abatements and or not rent abatements well, like concessions and stuff to get through certain times of year or reduce it if we're doing some work in the property so that way they'll stay there and not move out yeah you know, because smart. we know that turnover cost you know is much heavier for us than, it's better to kind of be ahead of it too than wait until mm-hmm. somebody's so fed up that they're they're ready to peace go. out yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure right are they um yeah. So in other states, are how is it? Are you renting? Is it like, I mean, demand here is crazy, but what's the demand like? Well, you know, sunny San Diego, we have this beautiful thing called weather, so it yeah. doesn't really hinder the cycles as much. But, yeah, Kansas City, give you a perfect example. I mean, it gets cold there. Yeah. So it's Midwest. <laughs> and so I didn't understand this fully until this year. It was our first winter. I mean, but, you know, come November, I mean, the rental cycle, I wouldn't say shuts down, but it gets really hard to rent. That's property. when you're giving concessions, right? right. And so we had... Who wants uh, to move, right? It's like, we had leases coming due where those people were like, okay, what do we need to do to get us through the winter? We're not raising rents on these people right now. And so we, we did that. We made actually a little bit of concession, got us through, and now we're coming into March, and that's fine. Those are going to turn over. We're going to rehab them, and that's okay. But, yeah, we would have lost because we had one unit we rehabbed in November. We just rented it. So just because of the winter. Like, Are just, you structuring your leases now not to? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So the property management company, because I went and staggered things out and I said, okay, these ones are here. I said, I want these things coming due in the spring into the fall and that's it. So I don't care if we need to do nine month leases or do, you know, 18 month lease or whatever we got to do. We can do that in San Diego. Yeah. 
like just because the holidays too. Yep. I mean, you don't really. Yeah. I I feel like right around November, people are not wanting to move yep. during Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's true. And January's slow. February can be slow too. It's like March kind of starts hitting it again. Mm-hmm. So whether or not, yeah, it's still there. I grew so, up in yeah. Oklahoma, so Oof. I. Uh, I'm aware of the weather. I was yeah. very close to the Kansas border. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, is, uh, I was looking at a deal that another buddy of mine out of Texas, you know, they're in a much different stage with the syndication market, but they're buying an 850-unit complex wow. in Oklahoma. <laughs> yep. And it, I'm like, that is a massive deal, wow. you know, for about, I think, all in on it. It's about $50 million, and that's for the rehab plus the acquisition of about, I think they're buying it for 50000 a door, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, but I le- I've learned a lot from him over the last like year or so just on basic rules of thumbs when he can like look at a deal and say that's going to we'll dive in further or we won't, you know, just in terms of where the rents are at versus the acquisition price per unit. So I was going to say, too, I mean, when you're looking at other markets, I mean, we're always big advocates of staying in your own backyard. And part right. of it's just because finding good management, mm-hmm. you know, finding the deals. Yep. So how did you guys start building the relationships to even find the deals? Yeah, great question. So that, you know, it's funny because I was the same way. I was very scared of leaping out of what we know best, which is San Diego. But when you can't find opportunities, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And I knew we had to scale and grow. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay. So the first thing that started was uh, September 2018. I went out to a syndication conference in Boston. And that was amazing. Three to 4,000 people were there. Brokers from all around the country, uh, investors from all around the country, um, a lot of people, and met an enormous amount of people for everybody from the markets I was really looking in were Georgia, Florida, kind of the Southern Hemisphere a little bit, Mm -hmm. and then some Midwest, um, but ran into a great broker from Kansas City, one from the Texas areas, one from Georgia, one from Florida. So we've connected, sharing ideas, things that are going on. So that started the process of how they did it and then just learning, right? Success leaves clues. So I said, great. Well, what did you guys do to get going outside of your states? And so what they did is they go in about six months in advance of any market they're going to enter. They set up all the infrastructure, right? Property management firms, construction crews, brokers, people, like all that ground infrastructure, logistics, all of that. So that way, once deals start coming across the table and they're underwriting them, they have all the systems and logistics, operations, Smart. legal, finance, everything in place to start pulling the trigger and feel confident that they're not going to like fall over their face once they go into that market. So we did the same thing. Kansas City went out there six months in advance, met with the brokers, property management firms, interviewed construction crews, PM companies, finance, all the local commercial banks. I mean, blah, 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 and got everything set up to where when those first deals start coming across the table, we could strike. And I knew that we had all the logistics wrapped up really smart yeah yeah i think that's the number one question because um we've had a lot of clients that do try to go out of state on their own yep and the kind of general comment is is like when you're from california you almost have like sucker written across your forehead they're like we got a hot one totally (laughs) you're like oh this guy's gonna overpay yeah yeah Yeah. so but you just do your due diligence you have good people on the ground that you trust you know the market is the market and you just kind of match it up it's all about you see what the, they send you across on the performance. That's great. You do your initial underwriting. Mm-hmm. But then you got to go kick the dirt. You, know, yeah. you literally knock on doors, walk the communities. You know, I go sit at every community about six, seven at night. I watch everybody come home. I want to see how the community kind of interacts, make sure there's not too many bars on the windows, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And you, you do that in, you know, during the week and right before the weekend because then you're going to get a good feel for how that neighborhood interacts. And that's how we've always done that. 
So are you still doing a lot of travel for deals now? Um, Not as much. Well, I will be coming up. um, But yeah, usually once a quarter, I'm out into uh, the markets we're looking into. So and then once we go in there, I'm usually there once a month as we're going. And then once it gets stabilized and settled, then it's usually once a quarter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the things I think we've usually talked about too is if we were ever going to go outside of san diego that it would have to be a pretty sizable deal to make sense for Mm -hmm. the travel was that sort of your philosophy as well yeah but also learning too i mean some people say oh no go big right go big and yeah true but that's also you can make bigger mistakes and if you're going to make mistakes it's better to kind of figure those out on smaller deals Mm -hmm. first when i say smaller i mean 30 to 50 unit properties Mm -hmm. so that's what the next stage for us was and we did that and we ran into some problems and issues that I would have never thought of. And th- thankfully, it wasn't on a $50 million deal. Right. It was on a $3 million deal. Yep. Yeah. So we've ironed that out. I, those mistakes won't happen again. And then so that allows us to kind of figure out the logistics of how a 30 and 50 unit building work, which are somewhat similar mm-hmm. to a 100 and 200 unit. There's just more zeros behind it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we can just copy, paste, repeat, and then just apply it to that building. Well, there's sort of a skill too. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just owning in your own backyard, but like you said, just going into different markets. Like that's a whole other skill is learning to navigate the issues that come up from just being out of market. Right. Yeah. And just the nuances of yeah. what what would break down in Kansas City is not going to break down in San Diego. Yeah. Right. And it's the weather element that causes that. was one that. of the biggest learning lessons for you yeah. guys. Yeah, I mean, just what do you mean we have to get a snow plow? <laughs> snow, yeah. we have to. You mean I have snow. I have snow removal on my yeah. operating yeah, expenses? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, We've seen that. it's, it's those pretty, things. It's not cheap either. It's not cheap. Yeah, and you just learn things that are market specific, and that's okay. But you know what to look for if you go into other similar, you know, environments. That's kind of like what I was thought you were going to say is weather because I don't. Like, people are like, we're here like snow plow, and then people don't realize. I remember looking at one lady's. Financial is like twenty grand for snow plush. Yeah, like twenty thousand. <laughs> well, like things like That's Texas, crazy. I'm learning you know soil, mm-hmm. right? There's certain issues in certain areas of Texas for soil that you got to make sure you're doing certain reports when you're doing your due diligence to buy properties because of the soil type that's in Texas. So just little things like that that you would never know. But that's why having good brokers and good people on the ground in advance and having all that infrastructure set up so that way you don't make real big mistakes. They can be big, there to big, help big educate, zeros, yeah. and then your investors are like, "Do you know what you're doing?" Yeah, uh, and that's not uh, a good conversation to have. No, so yeah, it's funny. Um, a lot of people that I need to go in Texas that are from here selling, they have to like partner up with a syndicator in Texas or whatever just to get in to get deals <laughs> accepted, or even because they're like, "I don't even know anything," because it's it is scary going to another market, you know, especially if you have to trade and you're buying a big deal like you said, yeah you and it, you know i'm sure you guys all know who grant cardone is yeah you know he has his own philosophy and methods and stuff but one thing you can pick away from him is his process for how he looks at deals acquires deals and how he goes into the markets and he'll go and get the top one or two brokers he says i'm going to work with the best and he'll go in and because of those relationships he can get deals done where if you maybe had a side broker over here, because the commercial space is different than, say, residential, mm-hmm. um, they can get things accepted where otherwise maybe people would be like, oh, we're going with these guys. And what's your kind of goal with this? I mean, I know obviously you're busy because you're selling real estate, right? That right. takes up a lot of time. Yep. Goal's 1,000 units first. And then once we hit the 1,000, 5,000. And then once we get to a point where you know, you have enough residual income. I'm not looking to try and have 10,000 or 20,000 doors, but if, you know, one to 5,000 doors, 
you know, and if you're owning 20, 30, 40% of those because you're a syndicate, mm-hmm. the rest is owned by the investor group. Um, I'm okay with that. Life's pretty good. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Have you found too, I mean, that the bigger you get, the easier it is to grow? Yes. So absolutely. I mean, I, I was like, man, to buy a two to four unit property, what a pain in the, you know. Yeah. Are we allowed to say ass on the yeah, show? Yeah, of course. All right. What a pain so in the ass. Yeah. You know, but you go in and you get a 30 unit. They're like, here's your money. Yeah. I'm like, what? And you get a hundred and like, <laughs> come here, here's your money. It's even cheaper. You're like, what? I'm like, yeah. are you guys more? No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, yeah it, it does get, as long as you have a track record and it can be backed up and keep in mind, they're underwriting the property mm-hmm. more so than the financials of the person signing on the loans. Um, and most of it's non-recourse for the most part, um, unless you're doing some rehab construction type stuff that'll attach recourse to it. But yeah, the money is, is cheaper. It's a little easier. Uh, you get bigger and, and, and it just seems to flow better mm-hmm. because there's economies of scale to it as well. So 100% on that. Are you that, was a, that was a surprise. Yeah. Well, I always tell people too because he does residential financing. I'm like, you're going to have to go through any of that. Like that's – you go through a I mean, I, I mean, I do loans. I've been doing yeah. it for 15 years. You, yeah. You do sell risk. We know it. Yep. It's like – and so I work with a lot of real estate investors – that you know they went and got a ten million dollar loan. They came over to get a residential loan. You know they all like, what? I just got ten million dollar. What the hell's wrong with people? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like business loan. Like yeah, well, and, we've got all this yellow tape on this loan. It's just you and know. keep in mind when they're doing the residential side, they they realize that that asset may not produce an income. Yeah. So it's looked at much differently than a business asset that is producing an income that they can leverage. Yeah. And that's how they get repaid because if hey. If you're not going to pay me, the property's going to pay me. Exactly, right? So I don't really care about you as much. I care about the property because if you don't perform, no problem. Property's ours. We'll take it. Literally, It'll... the biggest thing I think people don't understand about residential, you said, is the biggest holdup. The biggest thing is it's why we went through the whole collapse and what really the government cares about is like, do you have the ability to, to repay? Pay. pay. Repay right. this payment every month. And it's like, like you said, if there's no cash flow, you don't have a job, you don't have this. What am, how am I supposed to how leverage supposed it? To sell the loan. Where's my leverage? How's yeah. Fannie Mae? You know, but if you have over here, I got this big apartment building. They're like, if you die, it's still gonna, they're still gonna. People pay are rent. still renting, <laughs> exactly, and they're still gonna pay pay it. And that was one of the greatest learning experiences for me is understanding that I was saying out there is people they live in one of two places. Well, in most cases, right? They rent or they own, mm-hmm. right? You rent or you own, and more more people rent than own. And so if you know. If you're not going to go buy and sell and flip houses, that's one method, then go own properties that produce a cash flow. And then you're allowed to ride through the recessions a little easier than, you know, the, the buy and sell, which my dad did. And so I got to watch it like hands down, like, cause he did single family subdivisions. He did multifamily subdivisions. He did condo subdivisions, but they were always build, sell, build, sell, which was great, big pops, but you get caught in the market parties over. And you, and you see that and you, I learn and I'm like, well, I don't like that. And one <laughs> so, deal can kind of take you down yes. too. So that's, that's the right. Hard. If, if you're, yeah. if you're over leveraged, you know, like the financial crisis was in 2008 and nine, I mean, it was so violent and so fast that, I mean, just about every developer I knew was getting wiped out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what people don't realize. I think, and I always, we always talk about, I say is people are like, Oh, should I refinance now? Should I get cash? And I said, screw the rate, screw this. They're lending money. Yeah. You forget that if things are great, but if they go bad, people might just be like, yeah, we're just not going to lend money right now. And you understand, like they might call you and say, cool, you can sue me if you want. We're not going to give you any more money. Right. 
You go. You want to fight us? Go ahead. If yeah. you have that much. When money. they realize how violent things are going, they're like, "You're you don't have the capital of price to us, so yeah, let's have some fun." Yeah, and I think people <laughs> forget. Like that's why I tell people, if you can lock in and do it, do it. Like, what yes. are you waiting for? Um, question for you is, um, it's funny because you know, real estate agent, you're doing this because you want the cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in an industry that's like up and down. Right. So you sit here. We came out of 08, real estate agents, crash. Yep. They went into short sales, REOs, whatever. Yeah. Now they're all doing good and making money. And so um, do, because you're in there, are you, are, you in, are you being like an influence on people to see like, hey, instead of just spending all your money, which they're always good at, or, yeah. are you, do you, I mean, it's funny. Yeah. You, they've been through it, but like I don't see people really learning. Like I think even you, you're like, you watched your dad, mm-hmm. which is amazing, and you're like, I like how you made money, but the problem is, is like Robert Kiyosaki said, is you made money, you didn't keep it, but better at the money you keep is not making money. Right. Right. And, and you guys know the cash flow quadrants. You talk yeah. about Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. So that, I wish I would have learned. I, I can't believe I didn't learn that until about, about two years ago. I wish I would have learned it in like the financial crisis because it would have been, I would feel like I would have been much further along understanding, you know, the E, the S, the B, and the I quadrants yeah. and how it all interacts. And how ultimately most of us are sitting in the E and I quadrants and we want, we need to get to the B and the I. That's the only way for to financial freedom, right? Is B and the I. And the sooner you do it in life, the sooner you get to enjoy free time. So that's ultimately kind of kicked me in the butt once I was like, well, we need to hurry up because, you know, I'm 40. I don't want to wait till I'm 65 or 70 to retire, right? I want that like in the next 10 years. Right. The only way that's going to happen is to accelerate it and get into the B and the I as fast as we can to generate the cash flow. So that way I can say bye-bye to the S quadrant, which is what I am as a realtor, and hello to the B and the I quadrant, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, no, no, it's just, and you pay the most taxes, too, on, on those quadrants. Like, that's the other thing for right. us yeah. to kind of talk about is how to move over to that, too, is, like, the taxes that you pay, too, because mm-hmm. you get rewarded for giving people homes or creating jobs. Like, those are the things you get rewarded for. You don't get rewarded for being on that Well, unless you have an S corp. I mean, so I, I said, hey, I'm not going to be a Schedule C or whatever they call right. it. Right. I went ahead and set up an S-Corp to run all the commissions through. Mm-hmm. So that way I get to run it just like a business would right. and have the benefits of you know write-offs that would mm-hmm. be part of business expenses. Mm-hmm. So That's yeah, the, the one t- thing they teach new real estate agents, though, too. And even for me, when I first got started doing financing, it's like the, the people who are training you, they tell you like, yeah, go buy the nice car, oh. go buy the house because they need to make sure you need that commission every month sure. all the time. You got to get feed the hamster wheel. Yeah. And look, it's the, the residential sales business is an incredible business. It really is. It it's is. an opportunity for people to make a great income, great career, but you have to have an exit strategy. Yes. And or I think- you're, you, you see people that are still working and you're like, Why? It's because they have, well, they have this lifestyle and they're like, I'm not going to bring it down. And they just keep it going. Well, keep in mind, there are people that just love that kind of, um, say like they're just sales. Like they love it. Like it's 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 addictive. Right. And so for them, they'll do it till they're dead because that's what they love. And that's awesome. But for me, the residential sales business is not something I absolutely wake up first thing in the morning. And I'm like, Like, (laughs) I get to go like drive buyers and sellers around. So for me, I see it as a catalyst a catalyst to get into the apartment industry and do what we're doing and then ultimately exit the sales game as soon as humanly possible. That's yeah. That's the same as us. Yeah, we're pretty much in the same mm-hmm. in the same boat cuz I I want to 
be able to do whatever I want to do. Right. Like you said, you, I want to wake up and go like, if I feel like selling some homes, great. I'll sell some homes. Great. But if I don't feel like it, We're not. I want to have the choice not to. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And that's those choices. And the money gives you those choices. Yes. See, money says, does money buy happiness? No, but it buys choices. Yeah. And the choices you make can buy happiness. Right, because you can travel, right? You can spend time with your kids. You can have memories and moments, experiences. That's happiness. Or you can go buy a car and a dress and go to Vegas and party in nightclubs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that is like short term, but it doesn't bring the ultimate happiness. Yeah, and I think people forget. um, That's the big thing where a lot of this content we do is about investing, buying real estate. You just said it's like getting into the other quadrant over here. To be in the eye. And people don't even until you really understand what this means from like a tax standpoint and what you can do. If you don't understand it, then it's kind of like you're not going to get addicted to it because, you know, and we actually um, use Wealth Ability, Tom Wheelwright, mm. under for CPA, we switched over, yeah. um, which he's really smart. That's where, obviously, Robert got it from was the whole thing. Interesting. Yeah, Tom Wheelwright wrote him out and said, this is how it is. Robert's like, oh, well, you need to be over here, and this is why. Yeah, once I, like I said, I literally learned that whole quadrant thing two years ago, and I'm like, wait, it, like, it was an epiphany. I was like, so that's how it works. I, I'm sitting here going, I should have known that maybe eight years ago. It would have been great if yeah. I would have seen this. <laughs> it would have accelerated things, you know, but it is what it is. You know? Yeah. And like you were saying is, is I think, you know, things are good when they go bad. I think a lot of people that bought all this crap that they really didn't need, they're going to be like when it's slow and they're struggling and they got to get through the two years or whatever it is, yep. is that's where you're like. Yeah, if you had some residual income to get you through. Mm-hmm. Like, look how many agents went into property management last cycle. Mm. Like, I got to make money. And now I'm a sure. property manager all of a sudden. All of a sudden, you're like, wait a minute, I thought you were selling real estate. Well, now I'm managing these 50 properties for these people I know because right. I got to I gotta pay bills. Yep. And so I just think when people understand that model, mm-hmm. they'll. It, but, it's, but you got to go there. You got to be willing to try it. And, and, I mean, if you're in, like, my, the position I'm in where, uh, you know, I'm selling real estate to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Yep. But then, you know, as Gary Vee would call it, you got a side hustle. Yeah. Yep. Right. And that's where the apartment game comes in. So my nine to five is selling real estate. My six to 10 p.m. at night is apartments. Yep. Right. And that's just the way it has to be until this income overtakes this income. Right. And it's, we're not too far away. It's just, but it's a transition. It takes time and you better be ready to hustle. So is your goal to always syndicate or what's. Yes. I mean, when you say syndicate, what's interesting, what I learned is that syndicate, anytime you raise money from anybody, (laughs) legally it's a syndication. It's just a question of how big it is. But yes, I do see myself getting more full-time into the syndication business, but uh, we like to own our investments, not just, I mean, it drives me crazy some of the syndicators that don't put any money into the deals. They get paid acquisition fees and all these fees and they have no skin in the game. And I'm like, how did you convince somebody to give you their money to go buy this apartment building and you guys have no skin in the game? That's a hamster wheel too, though. I mean, like they need those acquisition fees and they have to find deals and like in a market, like if you're still in San Diego and you're a syndicator trying to find deals. Real. And I have looked at that like, how are you? Not going to happen. Yeah. You got to, you have to go outside of California and then you need to work on the ownership side. So you have that distribution, right? And the cash flow, um, because that's how you build that. And keep the leverage low and keep the expenses low and just kind of. So are you a long-term holder? Mm-hmm. Is that sort yes. of your philosophy? Yes. So you guys, um, are, how are you finding investors? Uh, up till now, it's been friends, family, network, people close to awesome. us. Awesome. And kind of building that, right? And as investors see the results, obviously they tell other investors. 
And most of our investors are, are people that would otherwise have their money sitting in a mutual fund, right? Uh, very conservative type investment vehicle. They're like, great, I'm earning 8% over here. Why don't I go earn, you know, 8 to 10 to 15% over here in a real estate asset that produces cash flow and, the, and it's safe in a way, right? And so, you get a K1 that shows zero when you pay, <laughs> you know, $30,000. Because we do, we do cost segregation. Are you familiar oh, with oh, that? Yeah, okay, oh, so yeah. we do cost segregation on all our buildings. So that way we get to d- accelerate the depreciation for our investors. So they literally are making money but getting, like, losses, if that makes sense. Yeah, so. you, you know about the bonus depreciation, right? The 100% bonus? So no. if you So if well, that's what Trump did, and a lot of people don't understand. So, if Are you talking you, about the opportunity zone? No. Yeah. Oh. So, if you bought a building, so let's say we have cash, we go buy a building. Yeah. You do the cost seg on yep. it, and they come back, and let's say, hey, we can do this over that. But if you're an active real estate investor, if that's what you're classifying your tax returns, mm-hmm. you can wipe wipe it that first year. Really? Oh yeah. Ooh, that's good. So I don't know how that works. <laughs> and that syndicate. applies to some W two income, like up to two hundred fifty thousand. I want to say, yeah. So and it interesting. Applies to, yeah. So it's not t- just real estate. Tom Wheels, right? It's like, let me give you an example, right? Mm. He's like, you've got a doctor. I'm making a million bucks. You know, W two whatever over here. You're, you know, guy of his corp W two five hundred thousand gets the K one, and he's got his wife over here. That's Mrs. I'm buying multifamily because right. this is common. So they go buy this four million dollar building. And then he goes, gets a sag, and all of a sudden he's like, hey, we can wipe, you know, um, it's a million dollars you're going to appreciate it right. this. So they call Tom, go, cool, we can do the 100%. So he just wipes 500000 so his income went zero, pay no tax. So he Holy goes, then you can go buy again. So a lot of these big guys, nobody's really paying attention. A lot of the big guys that are buying real estate right now, right. they're cash flow. They're like, cool, so I can just buy, 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 stack that bonus. And if yep. I don't use it, just kick it next year, right? Loss hmm. carry forward. And think about how much buying power on the side just so taxes keep going and going and going. That's interesting. This is in law until 2017. Two, 2026, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Huh? It started yeah. in 2017 and now it's in. Yeah, yeah so that's the Trump cool. Thing. So, yeah. your way, we see that. And um, that's what the other thing is. The other thing, which we always tell people, which you know or maybe don't know, is obviously you probably do, but you know, you buy the building or you go exchange in, put a lot down, rehab it, and you're like, Hey, we can just, I mean, we've got a lot of equity, rates are good. Let's just do a cash out refi, mm-hmm. yep. pay back some investors. And I tell people that's tax-free money. Yep. And people are like, what do you mean? I'm like, yes, yeah, so you could exchange into the building. Yep. Maybe you wait a year to do some rehab, call Crystal. Hey, Crystal. Yeah, I put 5 million. It's worth, you know, a million more. Cool. What can I get? Give me max leverage on it. Do an IO payment. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go buy another building. And that's yep. tax-free. People yep. go, what? Again, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how you build wealth. Another mm-hmm. way. That's you right. get it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's all these and we will refinance these properties that we're in now because we're in a two or three year interest only to do the rehab. So we'll get through that, rehab them all, raise the rents, restabilize. We'll have obviously added value at that point. We try and keep our leverage if we can give our investors back money, but keep our leverage at 75 percent or less mm-hmm. That's good. on purpose. And it's not so much because what, what ends up happening is if people start taking 80 percent or, or more, that's fine when it's good. Exactly. But the minute the market starts to change and vacancies rise, and now you go from, you know, where's your break even on that building? And I try and keep that break even at 70, 75% to where we can take a 25, 30% vacancy rate. Because mm-hmm. what, what investors care about most that I've learned is when you know, shit hits the fan, there are two things they care about most. One, don't lose my principal. Mm-hmm. Yes. And number two, please find a way to just protect my money until we can ride to the upside again. Mm-hmm. Like in worst like case that. scenario, 
Like if you can't give me a profit or a distribution, then at least protect my principal. Don't lose my money. <laughs> and make sure that you're protecting the, the building or the assets so we can come out of this thing if we have just have to ride through the rough water right now. Yeah, and I think for us sitting in San Diego, people are like, 20, 30%, that's ridiculous. But I'm like, but if you go back to last recession, that wasn't ridiculous because it happened. You yeah, because it happened in, in Arizona. I know it happened for us. What, what happens in those, what happened in the last time and what happens what people don't understand because this very wealthy guy that owns about 4,000 doors, he said, Justin, what does vacancy mean to you? And I said, well, when people move out, you have a vacant unit, it's vacant. He says, no, 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 no. It's not paying. He says, what you're not calculating is what happens when people double up and triple up when mm-hmm. times go in the tank. Families double and triple up. Yep. So then when you thought you'd had three units that were going to be occupied, now it moves into one. And maybe they go to a single family home versus an apartment unit. I saw a lot of that. Yeah. Right? So now you have consolidation in larger families into three and four bedroom homes versus one and two bedroom apartment units. Mm-hmm. So that's a totally different level of vacancy that people don't calculate when the market tanks. They just think you get higher rate, you know, vacancy rates, but it's actually people consolidating into other property types. I remember doing somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember doing loans for clients in 2009 and 10, and we would be doing like the appraisal, right? And mm-hmm. you'd be walking in, and you'd see families in the living room and the dining room, beds everywhere. Yep, that sucked, man. We all yep. we all watch that. Yep. So it's, it's a real thing. It happens. And what do you guys think about what's going on now between the virus, coronavirus and the markets? And I mean, we're down about 4,100 points mm-hmm. right now from its peak. I mean, rates are crazy low. Yeah. Which is good for our industry. I mean, mm-hmm. look, I mean, I see people right now. Um, I mean, I always tell people the rich keep getting richer for reasons. The money they can borrow right now is insane. Cheap. Yeah. So they're like, cool, go refi, cash out, sit it on the sideline, wait. Yeah. You know, why not? I think I see people cashing out right now, maybe putting money back at their properties or looking for, you know, if you can go get a lock in a rate at 3%. Mm-hmm. You're silly. Yeah, like not you, too. It's like, cool, here. Yeah. Here, Justin, go. It's go, borderline go, free money. Go, go make it me, is. Go make me 7%. It's sure. kind of not a, yep. so, I mean, the virus is, it was funny. I, I keep saying this story already. Uh, Davos is the thing they have in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. You know that? So there's all these CEOs, and I can't remember his name, that were interviewed and they all say, oh, this is going to happen. One guy comes on and he says, what's your biggest concern? He's like, this virus. And this is before the virus was oh, interesting. now. And they're like, that's your concern? He goes, oh, 100%, that's my concern. It's going to be a major problem. She goes, you think that's going to be the biggest concern of this year? 100%. Hmm. Because we're being lied to right now how bad it is. Sure enough, I tell people a month and a half later, I'm sure this guy, I don't know if he owns a fund, has shorted this market. <laughs> but he literally, everybody else was maybe maybe a snippet. Out of yeah. a 20-minute interview, this guy was just would not leave it alone. Interesting. So I he just, did say this like a month ago. Wow. Yeah. He was yeah. like, watch, I think it's going to be a problem Record this out. Yeah, no, no, I Mitch came in, in our office he didn't was like, it. no, no, no. It's not going to be that bad. So Interesting. I just think, you know, look, we're, we've had a good run. And yep. I was actually uh, something, because you're in real estate, you'll appreciate this. So I watched um, Aladdin, told me to watch this one. But I watched Sam Zell was interviewed. Hmm. He was actually on Tim Ferriss, but Tim Ferriss brought somebody else in to interview Sam Zell. You know who he is, yep. right? So Sam Zell said, everybody keeps saying, Sam, where are we in the inning? What inning? And he goes, look, a couple things. Number one is everybody keeps thinking what inning we're in real estate. He goes, the the stock market started to make a change in 2009. It started correcting. Yeah, so we've started, been on a 10-year run for that. Yeah. yeah. 
He says, but real estate February two thousand February two thousand twelve. telling me ten years because the real estate market Eight. didn't really get good until thirteen and fourteen yeah. right there. That's where he's like data driven. Like, like when you got where, out of San Diego. Well, well no, but when you actually look at the data on the real estate, it was February two thousand twelve was the bottom bottom. Mm -hmm. But you're right. It was thirteen, fourteen. We had the crazy runs, but it started in February two thousand twelve. So we're literally eight years like now. Exactly. So he's ten years in stock. So he says when things yeah. get better, it's th to him it's thirteen, fourteen. So mm -hmm. we're out. But he said another thing he mentioned is let's talk. He was talking about rates. He said everybody keeps saying rates are going to go up. He goes, look, we've been in a low rate environment for about twenty five years, relatively low. Yeah. And he says everybody refinance. When I say everything, that's corporate, that's government, that's everybody. So if you everybody keeps thinking rates are going to go sky high, he goes, it's never going to happen. We're, we live in this rate environment. Sure. Nobody's going to allow it because we already know we can't. When we, get, when we go, can't. look, if we go up a point in real estate, it's like the whole thing just. Well, and it's not only that, but it's 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 the debt that the treasury is having to pay on all this money they're printing. It's a trillion dollars, right? Just to just to. I mean, well, you know, I was saying it the other day. It costs about ten billion dollars a day to run the United States, right? We make six, we print four, and they print four, and they just like pay the interest and then they print four more and then they pay the interest and they keep printing four more. And that's why you see the debt thing going through the roof and the ship's too far out to sea. They're not going to change it. Yeah. They know it's the great experiment. It is what it is. At some point, the party's going to end. The yeah. question is how and how drastic and what is it going to look like? Is it a currency crisis? Is it something else? But I think it is going to be something based around currency. Mm -hmm. Just don't know specifically what it's going to look like. Yeah, so Robert Kiyosaki is really like diving in. He's big on like Watch corporate debt, corporate mm -hmm. all that. That's where he says the problem. A lot of you know people were were borrowing debt to go buy box stock. Right, to raise that. That's a problem. That is oh, a problem. Gotcha. That is a problem um, because you're basically you're creating and then basically next thing you know, Mr. CEO is like, hey, I'm going to sell some shares. Sure. Yeah, it's weird. You just wow. <laughs> and then he said the other big thing is is he's, he just wrote a book came out is um, the pension crisis. Yeah. So he thinks the pension crisis is going to be what's going to cause the next hmm. you know, meltdown. And that's where he goes into is, you know, he's like, you're being lied to. So his thing is, is all the pensions, like you said, is we spend 10 billion a day, we make six. Well, the pensions, he says, most of them have 20, 30% on the dollar, which they owe. So if we owe a trillion, we have 200, 300 billion in the bank. Boy. Oh boy. And so he said... He gives an example. I mean, you're kind of seeing this. Like, there's a there's this there's this uh, UPS driver in New York, which was getting five thousand a month, and they called and said, basically, they sent him a letter saying, "We don't. There's no more money." Now he's down to a thousand dollars a month, and he's and he's writing this book, and he's doing this part series on his podcast, and he has this guy that was that worked at the SEC that was, you know, used to research and yeah. parties. Now he's basically he's making his money by. What are you turning him into the IRS and getting their reward? He just yeah. put seventy five million, but he said <laughs> it's such a joke. But what's ha what's the bad thing is is there's a pension and there's this manager and Wall Street, the whining and dining. It's such they're a like mess. dipping into the pensions too. So, so Robert says, you know, I always go back. I said Social Security was created in nineteen thirty six seven, and I went so I started some like you as you start looking like I want to go back and research why this stuff was created. So right. Social Security was created because. You and I went through the recession, and we're old. We can't work, so I'm only getting two thousand a month. Like we're going to give you a little bit of money to help yeah. you in retirement. This isn't like this is only a temporary thing. Sure. And politicians said, no, we're going to make this a retirement full time, permanent. So yeah. now we're a trillion a year. Yep. Just on that, and then you sure. said the debt's a trillion a year, and we don't make enough. So I think when you add all this stuff up, 
It's, think, it's, it's rough. I think we, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, rough. that's why I think people look at pensions and all this. And that's why we like the real estate game. And that's why a lot of these guys are saying, look, there's all this stuff, but you know, you have a asset, you own it, you can touch it, you can feel it. Yep. You're in control of it. Your money's not in a pension where that's what people said is go ask about your pension. Go ask what's in it. How much is in it? Right. When you ask the questions, you're going to be scared because yeah, and, it's scary. And, you know, we said in moments of suffering, greatness is born. There's always opportunity. That's what they're saying. Even though markets, you know, sure, we'll have a, adjustments. Right? right now, we're technically under a correction right until we hit 20%. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be considered a bear market. But yep. we're correction right now. We'll see where it goes. I don't think it'll get over that 20%, but I may be wrong. Virus may come and kill us all tomorrow. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knows? Yeah. yeah. No, I, but I think, I think you know, looking out um, – it seems rates are going to be low for a while, which yeah. is good for lending. Um, I mean, you know, then then there's Alan Evan, who's he's the internal optimist. Well, this is what yes. I this is what everybody forgets is you know over the next twenty five years the biggest wealth transformation is going to happen. So mm-hmm. we see it on our side, especially commercial. In what in what way? So Grandpa dies. Yeah, I own five apartment buildings. Gotcha. And you and I are splitting. Uh, great, we get a uh, million dollars each cash flow. The baby boomers you're talking about. Yes, yes, I would so agree all with that. The, and then some of them, like Alan says, some we're going to do good, and some we're going to sell and spend every damn penny of sure. it. And choices. It, yeah, it's going to help. Good the choices, bad choices. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And then you have technology, which is creating a lot of opportunity. You know, I think things are every every technology is looking at every industry. How can we change it? Whether it's good or bad, or it's fake or BS. Yeah, we we're talking about stuff off camera. You know, there's the WeWork model, yep. which, you know, was it's a good model, but when you get the wrong kind of money behind it, it's for the wrong reasons, it's pumping, 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 it becomes a problem. And a, a lot of technology is really going into the real estate space, too, because I think residential's got a lot of great technology, but if you start looking at multifamily and things, I mean, you're starting to see some technology coming into our space, but it's not like, So, well, so to touch on that real quick, <laughs> I think it was the... Um, the C conference. There's a big conference in Coronado every year where all the top CEOs from the major companies come for residential real estate. Okay. So last year, you know, Redfin, Zillow, Compass, I mean, Sotheby's, I mean, all of them, right? They're all yeah. there. And at that time, I was with Harcourts. The CEO of Harcourts went. And what they talked about there is, you know, everybody doesn't really like Redfin or Zillow. But the CEOs got up on stage and they said, listen. This is what we're doing. They like literally told everybody how they're going like, to no. try and screw everybody. Like so, point like yeah, shoot, sh- like, right. I remember straight. seeing that. I was and like, they've said what they're what they're trying to do is automate the offer process and automate the transactional process, right? And, and, and the minute they can do that, then the value of the buyer's agent will go first. So what will happen is all the downward pressure on the buy side fee of two and a half percent is going to go to like one. Mm-hmm. So the buyer's agent will find themselves out of the market pretty quickly. It'll be the listing agents left. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to automate. So that's the offer process. Because if I don't need an agent anymore to go see a property anymore, right, and I don't need it really to offer anymore because I can just go online and make it through the offer process because they're bringing title companies, insurance companies, escrow companies Everything. into their e- ecosystem. Yep. So legally, they figured it all out. Financing, they figured it out. Title, all that stuff, they figured it out to automate that offer process. And then the transaction. So now we go from offer to transaction, escrow. And how do we automate that legally, financially, so it actually makes sense to alleviate all the parties involved or minimize the need for a full-blown, full-time listing agent or a full-time, full-blown buyer's agent. So therefore, we can take that 5 or 6% fee and squeeze it down out of the marketplace. So the buyer's agents will go first. Listing agents will still remain, but I think that fee is going to squeeze. 
over the next five, six, ten years, I think the next cycle is going to see that because they're getting ready. Like they're working on it. They have AI technology, all kinds of stuff, and they're buying a lot of homes and everything rehabbing. I mean, they're losing money on it, but they're te- they can afford to. They're testing, testing. They're That's testing. right. It's all testing. They're trying to figure out ways to automate the offer and transaction process in real estate, residential real estate. And the minute they're getting good at it, and it's going to get better. So if I, I don't be a buyer's agent. So any agents watching, get out <laughs> yeah, yeah. of being a buyer's agent. I always tell people. You know, listing is as lures, right? Lister don't last. Listings are lures. You know, buyers agents will find themselves out of the marketplace, in my opinion, in the next ten years. Wow, wow. that's wild. You Unfortunately, know, I mean, just by fees. Yeah, because you're and rather than seeing two and a half on the MLS now, yeah. right? It'll go to two, and then it's already it's seeing just, a little bit of that, and you'll see one and a half, right? Because they don't need you anymore. Like that's automated, right? right? So they don't need the buyer's agent. Now, some people would say, oh, well, we're in California. You need dual representation, right? You can't have dual agency. I totally agree with that. What happens, the listing brokerage is going to have an associate yep. on the team that will represent the buyer. So you'll technically have dual agency, but it'll be at an arm's length, right? No different than two agents at Sotheby's or two agents at, you know, Coal Banker or whatever. Same idea, but then it's on a team. It's not on like right. a separate buyer's agent getting a separate two and a half percent. Right. It'll be like, hey, that buyer's agent's getting like 1%. The total fee's three and a half mm-hmm. versus five mm-hmm. or six. So do you think if that happens, like if you're, you know, you're an agent, you have a listing and because of technology and marketing and the brand building that you might be listing that buyers just might just come right to you then? It's happening now. Yeah. Like it's like, why didn't you buy it? It's just happening go, now. Just call you. Yep. It's happening now. It's already starting to happen now. Because they're like, technology, I can find the house. That's right. It just came up. I got the email. Call you. I want to put an offer. I know I don't, you're, my agent. you're my agent. Let's right. go. But then you have the buyers who want to feel like they have somebody representing them that okay. does not represent the seller. So you got to deal with that aspect. And so that'll take some time to work that out you know, before it's full-fledged, like, hey, I'm just going to the listing agent. Because they still don't trust the listing agent. They're like, oh, you're <laughs> Well, they're like, you're for the seller. Yeah, you're, you're not going to help me. Yeah. Even though legally we have a fiduciary duty, they don't care about that. So. And it is tough going direct because it happens, like, there's certain brokerages and multifamily who really try to double-end everything, mm-hmm. and it becomes a problem. Like, yeah. we're seeing because of rent control, we're, we, I've literally had a couple of appraisals come in low. Oh, interesting. Recently, which is bizarre. And huh. so we've had a couple – come in low and we've had a couple situations where you have a broker who's representing both sides uh, so that becomes a little tricky you know like when your buyer's like what should i do i don't want to pay over appraised value and sure. your seller they're like this was a bad appraisal and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> of course you know so you're dealing with all this so <laughs> it is a tough situation and i get a buyer not wanting to have yeah so there's some nuances yeah. that have to be worked out with that but yep. the technology is going to help downward pressure on the fee which you're starting to see that, which is if you look at the last cycle crisis that had happened, all the one percenters came into the market around the 11th hour. It's happening yep. now. Yep. You notice it? Yep. Right. They're all the one percenters are coming in, the home lights and the, yep. you know, help you know, not to help you sell. They're still here. But, you know, you got all the guys doing the one percenters. Right. And you got listing fees of one percent by Redfin and so forth. So all that's pressure. It usually, the, remember it's last, usually at the end of a cycle that I, that starts I, to happen. I remember it happening last cycle. Yeah, yeah. I remember it's funny, Ryan Surhan. I pay ones and yeah. help you sells and sell you states. And Ryan Surhan yeah. was on stage and like I saw a snippet. He, and they said, "What do you think about this?" He says, "Yeah, we're probably in the market because soon as the market dips, they're gone, and you can't get a hold of that agent after five because they've got to go. You know, it's over. Right? So it's bank. They're bankrupt. So Correct. he goes, "That's that's the problem." Is- yeah, the niche is in the over a million price point. So the agents, in my opinion, that will last and really have a niche because under a million, there's so much kind of um, 
automation in data. that? Data and easy to comp, easy to show, easy to market. You can market, streamline it too. More bigger buyer pool, like all yeah. these things that are in that price point yeah. under a million in San Diego, right? At least the California market. Over a million, you need a little bit more expertise. Mm -hmm. You need people that know the markets, know the neighborhoods, know the nuances, know how to sell that kind of luxury property. That especially as you get higher and higher up, right? It and it gets and we, right. Then the yeah. nuances really set. The buyers start joining. Correct, but think of it in the sense of you know, the uh, travel agents in a way, right? Mm -hmm. So because of all the technology in the lower price of travel, it became very automated. The travel agent went bye-bye. When someone needs a concierge in the higher end luxury services of travel, they go hire the travel agents who are still there and, and they've been there for 20 doing, years. And they're doing good. And they're yeah. doing great because they found the niche that, hey, the, the people who are willing to pay who need a customized experience and will pay for that experience and level of service and knowledge and expertise is in that kind of luxury game mm -hmm. yeah or more luxury game yeah i think also too like the investment property side because i feel like that's like something that's that different even, yeah, yeah. You, need, you need an expert yeah, in that, even in that like arena two to fours I, I like i say it all the time too is um there are some apartment brokers that will take whatever two to fours they get just yep like somebody just said to oh co-star was just in my office earlier this weekend they're like california in general san diego specifically is kind of over brokered like there's just so many brokers yeah, out there there's twenty five thousand realtors yes in san diego so with sdar now yeah um it's a lot yeah um it's a lot so <laughs> well when you only have about you have 44 000, about 44 i think it's forty four thousand transactions in 2019 so right. how many of those agents really know how to underwrite and analyze, you know, a two to four unit investment property? Not many. Property? Not, yeah. prop not properly. When yeah. I've seen online, like some of the stuff, I mean, we laugh because I'm like, there's no way that you're going to like, that is not a cap rate. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> that, is, that is not a gross rent <laughs> yeah. multiplier. Yeah. Yeah. You're so full of, you know. Yeah, yeah. shit. Yeah. I laugh at it. I'm like, so what do you, you know, it doesn't work. I tell people they come that like, they're buying two to four and I go, I would find a commercial work buy. I'm like, because the person you're talking to is good at selling your primary residence. Right. But they don't understand. They've never even owned or op like you're. You want to have a conversation with that? This is yeah. And to give you an example, we sold a four unit in El Cajon that we bought a few years back, and we sold it last year. And I had literally prepped all of the because I understood how to how they were going to look at it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I and I literally underwrote it for them. I handed it to their broker, and the, of course the broker they question it is this like real numbers? But then when they actually got into the real numbers and got to see everything, they're like, this is like dead on. I said, well, yeah, because you're, you're going to underwrite it to the, like I would yeah. go underwrite a 10 unit or a 20 unit. Yeah. I'm underwriting a four unit, even though I you normally just base it on comps. Yeah. I, I base it on revenue. Mm -hmm. So. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, new election year, it's kind of crazy. It's, it's funny because it's, it's like, I know that, but it's like, doesn't feel like an election year right now. It's like, we haven't gotten into the. Yeah, and we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks, you know, with the whole Bernie thing. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm not. A, I guess I would consider my. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I, what's the middle line guy or the um, a common sense person? No, <laughs> <laughs> no. Or the, uh, you're socially more liberal, fiscally more conservative. What is that? Is yeah, I, I know. What's that? Libertarian. Libertarian. Excuse me. I, I was like, I couldn't come up with that. Pop Libertarian. Pop. There you go. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's interesting to see all the stuff that's going on, and people say that America can't vote for a socialist under normal circumstances that's true but i'll tell you what if bernie believes every single thing he's saying and he can sell it really really well and if you have an economic change 
That's why Trump doesn't you, want it. Well, if you have economic unrest and civil unrest, then that allows potential for socialism to be like, oh, like we want. Yeah, change. this virus is not helping Trump right now. Right. So it is interesting because I'd be like, there's no way Bernie can get elected. That's what they said about Trump until you get to a certain level where you're like, gosh, there's civil unrest and economic unrest. And if that grows and keeps growing to a point, America could actually be like, okay. I mean, not that that we'll see. I hope not. Because yes. I mean, I'm more like, hey, let's just go moderate down the middle. Right, right. <laughs> like, well, just you know, down the middle. Yeah, I mean, because honestly, I, it, you know, some people it sounds like a good idea. I just don't think people really they don't understand. No. they don't. But we already know how the book ends. There's plenty of other case studies around the world of socialism. It's very easy to be like, did that work? Nope. Did that work? Nope. Didn't work there. Nope. That didn't work. There. But then they try and you know, <laughs> it's you know. gonna no, and it's it's you know you find out pretty quickly. Yeah. So, we'll see. I don't know. It, it will be. I'm neither here nor there because I'm pretty. You know. How's the How's the, the market where you're kind of selling stuff? What do you you just um, flat? No, I'd say in general. I mean, the inventory's down. Yep. So things are moving pretty well. I mean, that's the challenge: is lack of inventory, or lack of good inventory. Yep. Because um, there's properties out there, but they're just if a not, good one comes, right. it's like they're either overpriced, right, not presented correctly, not marketed right. So that's why they're not selling. So, but the, the properties that are there that are meeting, you know, the price, the presentation, the marketing are selling pretty quickly and moving off the market. So we're seeing things move. Interest rates are low. Things are going forward. Anything under a million dollars realistically is gone pretty quick. Uh, it's when you get into the luxury price points that things tend to sit. Where is it more. sitting? Three, three plus? Three and a half. Plus? Yeah. You just have, in general, I think the, those folks are much more cautious right now looking at things. They're much more or less to just jump onto a $5 million property or $3 million property. So they're being much more careful. And with La Jolla, I was going to ask you real quick, the people are, you seeing a lot of people move here from out of state or what kind of buyers you get just local or no, heck no. We, we see it coming out of, uh, believe it or not, Texas. I mean, even though people are saying Californians are going to Texas, but we do see people coming the out. Texans want to be in California. Right. Too. Why Maybe. is that? Why is anything? I, I don't weather, know. Weather just, it's a good question. I don't know. Are you by the beach? Right. Everybody money, loves the ocean. Yeah. I think they made it. I would say it, if you like, have the money, you want to live here. You do. Like, yeah, you do. for sure. Come on. Yeah, you absolutely do. But I'd say you get Canadians, Arizona. We always know the Zonies come out. That's pretty common. And then you get uh, people from uh, Nevada. The Zonies. Yeah. The Zonies. <laughs> we call them Zonies. It, it starts with people from Mexico, too, are buying a lot. Yes. But they'll come into Coronado a lot. A lot of... Uh, Especially with Me- the presidency going on. People are like... Me- Mexican families, you know, they'll come into Coronado big time. The K's, they love that area. And they want um, secure communities. Yeah. Even South Bay, they'll go into Otay Mesa, but uh-huh. some of the secure gated communities uh-huh. because they come from an environment of it's yeah. not secure. Uh-huh. So they want their family secure. And then they go work back in Mexico and come back and forth. Yeah. Happens a lot. Yeah. I think Otay was really like... A blessing for people from Mexico. Big too. time. It was like, it's nice yeah. communities, newer beautiful. construction. You know, there's some beautiful estates back and in there. And that toll road's like really helpful now yeah. that they built for people traveling. We we went down there. I took Kenny down there one day just for shopping for something, and he couldn't even believe it. It was like, wow, this is like a whole. It's like a brand new city. Everything's gorgeous and new and right. You know. So we'll see. Do you, do you, and they've got expensive communities there now too. Big I mean, time. Got like yeah, one know. two yeah. one two plus million dollar homes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because I feel like. Because this cycle, even though we had a rise, it was good. It's not as crazy as last cycle as far as like. Well, because they're not giving out free money anymore. I mean, you guys know you're in the lending industry. I mean, they're offsetting maybe stated income loans with more equity in. Right. So they're making people some way, shape or form have some skin in the game or they're underwriting you and actually what you make versus before, as we all know. 
Stated income, negative amortization, 100% finance, walk in. Oh, you make 80? No, you make 160 today. Yeah. Here's going on your app. And yeah. Even for us um, with apartments, we used to have, I remember these loans that we'd, we'd do based on break even. Like you can't do you can't do like a one one to one debt service anymore. You know? it's like, yeah. There's no such thing. Yeah, now they're at least. But I feel like people are like trading up too. There like, yeah. was this whole phrase like sell our house and get a bigger one. You know, like it's like yep. I just don't. I mean, I'm sure it's there, but I'm not seeing. That's that. part of the challenge with the inventory. They're not selling. Is, is people would like to sell, but where are they going to go? Right. I mean, unless they're moving or downsizing and there's a life they event happening. Yeah. So they're rehabbing, right. staying and rehabbing. Right? right. They're staying in the homes longer. Where normal turn time was about five and a half, six years on a house turning. Now it's up to 10. Holy shit. That's double. So that's why you're seeing, it's a combination of multiple things, but that's one of the reasons you're not seeing as much inventory come on the market is people are staying in their homes longer because they want to stay. They just don't know where to go and they can't afford to move up. Right. And they don't want to move down yet. So the only people that really are moving is due to a life event, right? They have more babies or they need to downsize or they need to upsize or they, you know, whatever they're doing, it's a life event that's usually making that happen. Yeah, it's more of a need, not a, a want. Right. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Um, well, this is a fun little chat. <laughs> no, it was because, so. I mean, it's, you don't. Sorry, we got off on a little politics for a second. Don't want to do no, that. I know we had. That um, doesn't usually happen, too, by the really? way. Really? We just. I try, I try and pull it. But age, you're not going to have any real estate coming here and talk about multifamily. So that's really? Fun. Oh, that's good. We're that's like, good. for me, I've always thought, if you're in real estate at all, why are you not drinking your own Kool-Aid? Like, why are there so many brokers and real estate agents and lenders that own nothing? Yeah. They own a home. Yeah. And somehow. Even it, commercial brokers. Yeah. Well, and even. You know, the traditional viewpoint of, uh, you know, the single family home being, you know, the American dream of wealth creation. It can be a great wealth creator. There's no doubt about that. I'm all in for the home ownership side of it. But you've got to own you know, diversified portfolios, right? You got your 401k and maybe you got a life insurance policy over here that has a wealth value to it. And then you got to have some ownership and some properties. Well, I mean, for us, something I, yeah. I think one of like our guy who helps us with some marketing, he always says like the, the thing that we, that I find so unbelievable about you guys, me and my wife is that you guys don't own a home. And mm. it's like, for us, we were like, we need to invest and yep. have assets that pay us first to get to, like you said, we have sure. a goal, you get to a certain level and then you're like, I'll buy the house because guess what? Now I have assets that pay for this house. That's right. And so that's our... even though I want to own a home and I want to have one that's my own and it can be a good, wealth creator sure the multifamily is better so yeah. we got to go for that first yep so that way we're not grinding every day just to pay your mortgage yep. you know let your tenants pay your mortgage well it depends which quadrant are you in right right if you're in the e quadrant where you have that w2 and that's a safe environment for you to be in then it's it's fine and then but just know that if you're in the e quadrant the reality of you retiring in an early age is not likely right you're going to have to do the whole 65 or 70 thing right hopefully accumulate enough wealth by that time right. to then finally retire and then have quote unquote free time. But if you're trying to accelerate that ability to have the free time earlier in your life, you have to get into the B or you have to get into the I or both. That's the only way. Once I understood that from Robert Kiesai, I was like, so that's the only way it happens like sooner in life? No other way. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's the only way it happens sooner in life. You have to be in one of these two quadrants. Otherwise, you're going to be in the E or the S until you're dead. And that was the big thing, too, that they were talking about on that podcast about the pensions is also the average 
uh, amount of money that people have in their 401k is insanely low. It's like $62,000 on average. So it's like some of these people are going to be working until they die, basically, because. Yeah, that's I mean, is that because of the tank and they haven't gotten back or is that because a lot of people they're not saving? You're saying, gotcha. Yeah, well, because costs of expenses are so high, they can only put in so much. And also we live in a world where it's you're a click away from a TV, a phone. I mean, whatever you want. It's easy to get stuff. What, what does Gary Vee say? Stop buying stupid shit. Yes. <laughs> Stop buying stupid shit. You don't need to trust people that don't care about you. Don't care about yeah. 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 I, 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 I don't know if you, you watch that guy a lot. I went, I, I went to his 4D. I yeah, went to that his that guy yeah. cracks me up, man. It's kind of what started Kenny on the social media kick. I found him. Um, and I started listening to podcasts. Kenny was not a technology guy whatsoever. Right. And I'm like, Kenny, you got to listen to this guy. He's kind of a lunatic like you. Like, you got you to listen to him. So he's a, she's a straight I shooter. Yeah. I mean, you want no BS. That's oh, no. clearly you no BS. You in your face. Yeah. Like, he's, 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 he's your man. And I think he's kind of the first person you start with if you're not if you're not listening to social media or anything. You kind of start at Gary Vee. Yeah. Because, uh, like we were even saying, just with social media, his big push is just do it. Like, yep. just do it. Like, just give everything away and just do it. And that's very true. And but refreshing, too. It is, yeah. And so you just do it. But then after that, you do it for a while, and you're like, okay, now I need a strategy. You mm-hmm. know, I just, I just did it. That's what we're on to now. I threw yeah, it out there. Mm-hmm. So we do, yeah. we mean, our business and the investments, but we're putting a lot of time into building the brand and doing that. So yeah. that's kind of like the next phase of it all. But well, you, you, you so, cultivate your subscriber base and your following, yeah. right? And then you have to find a way at some point to monetize that. So it's just quick. At what stage does that start to happen? Yeah. But you have to right. grow it. It's like giving away a free app, right? You give the free app, you give the trial. At some point, you're going to have the user database where you're like, okay, we have to monetize this now. Right. And move to the next stage. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and the podcast has been fun. Like, we've yeah. had a lot of fun doing we'll keep this. Keep doing it. I yeah. hope you guys keep doing it. Yeah. Well, it's no, funny because a lot of people will ask us. We've had a lot of people come in here and go like, well, do you get business from it? Yeah. Well, how do you track that? No, you don't track it. You it's, don't. Yeah, it's really tough know. probably on the ROI side to say like, yeah, we get this. But but if you love it and it's helping get the word out there. It's yeah, it's, it's just know? like, you know, it's like Gary said or anybody now I get it. It's like people have heard enough of us on this or in content. They know who you are. Yep. Um. So if they want to work with you, like I want to work with somebody like that, they know what you do, who you are, so they can find you easy. And your yeah. competition, like you're an agent, they do this. But if you're an agent that doesn't have anything – they're going to go, well, this guy has 20 videos about who he is. I feel you have nothing. I'm just going to go with him because I feel this. That's what Gary said. I feel this. Like I know and, and people do business with people they like and trust. Yes. It's very simple, it's especially simple. in the service industry. Yes. Do I like you? Do I trust you? Great. Okay, let's do especially some business. Especially selling your multi-million dollar house right. for a good, you know, it's yeah. like, you know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's a big ticket on all that stuff. So, so where cool. can everybody find you? Uh, Google. <laughs> just Google Justin Brennan. I hope I pop up everywhere. We do videos. We got, I mean. You do. I checked. Yeah, so you pop cool. right up. All right. Yeah, yeah. We 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 won on that. You're like one. a key search term. Are we already? Really? Oh. Like I come in the like, like the if automatic. You typing, if you start typing Justin, it like, does Justin Bieber doesn't? Yeah. Don't lie. Well, he's, he's definitely he's not beating the beef. He's definitely yet. one or two ahead of you, but you know. I'll, I'll give I'll give him that. Yeah. I'll give him that. You know? I really liked it when I was right underneath Justin Timberlake. I was yeah. like, now I'm oh, really yeah, making yeah. it. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah. They can find you there, and thanks for coming on. This is a fun chat. Appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Kind of getting to know you guys and what you guys are doing, and you know. Well, we yeah. always think we know everybody in San Diego. It feels that way after a while, and then there's like 
people that have kind of come in to the business over there. You get to know like all the kind of good old boys who've been around for 30 years. Sure. And then it's nice to start to get to know other people who are more in our age group doing similar things. Yeah. And, and somebody asked me the other day, they said, what's your, f-? and I said, my goal is not to be the number one realtor. Yeah. I said, if I wanted to be the number one, I, I could just, you know, because I know Seth O'Byrne, I know them all. I mean, it's we're all there, but it's like, do you want it? I know how much time and energy that takes, and if I do that 100%, there's no way I can do the apartment stuff. So you and if my exit strategy is here, then I, I'm going to give really good attention here because that's important, but you got to, you know. We literally yeah. have the same conversation. We have that it's conversation like, all the time. It's, and I realize that people is when they're all in and they're just, you know, um, all in and crushing it, they literally don't have any time for this, and I get it. But hopefully, and then they, they stay in the S quadrant. They do, and it's hard to get out of that S quadrant yep. once you get going and the money's there and all the things are there. You, especially yeah. if you build, you know, get a nice house and lifestyle that you keep feeding. Now the lifestyle went up here, and you got to feed the machine. Yep. So, and then they got to stay at number one. Yeah. So unless they like strike it big or win the lotto. honestly though a lot of those people like kenny has said even like if he wanted to be a top lo it's like they have these big teams and everything but you're you're like this you're handcuffed to your business you don't have time to take a minute to breathe to think about it and find out what your passion is yeah at the end of the day follow the passion the money will find it yeah it just it will Mm -hmm. you just you got to go i think yeah i think we kind of share the same similar Mm -hmm. passion thank you guys for having me thank you a lot of fun yes all right This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.